all children, except one, grow up. Perhaps you recognize that first line from Scotsman's J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. But today I want you to consider not the beginning of stories, but their ends. Listen to how Peter Pan concludes. As you look at Wendy, you may see her hair becoming white. For all this happened long ago. Her daughter, Jane, is now a common grown-up with a daughter of her own called Margaret. And every spring cleaning time, except when he forgets, Peter comes for Margaret and takes her to Neverland, where she tells him stories about himself, to which he listens eagerly. When Margaret grows up, she'll have a daughter who is to be Peter's mother in turn. And thus it will go on so long as children are gay and innocent and heartless. Between the opening line and the ending, there are stories and stories of stories all leading to the ending of a motherless Peter having the promise of a mother figure from Wendy and on through her family line. Mr. Barry, the artist, crafted a story that illustrates humanity's quest looking for a home, a family. The final chapter of any book or the last scene of a movie is as important as the first, and some authors and screenwriters write the last chapter or the last scene first so they know where the story's going. And so it is with God's story that includes us, a story that has been written And this is the last sermon about the good words of our Father that brings us the basic ideas and applications in the series of the final text, and in our case, the benediction that is recorded in 2 Corinthians. As you listen today, do so in the context of so what? Look for the ideas to grasp that produce the change in the emotion motivation for you as you live your lives every day and seek to grow as a worshiping community of believers by sharing your blessing. Do not lose sight of your context as you listen. The change, the motivation has come, has to be overcome. In fact, the secular culture and the religious diversity of our day Never lose sight of the fact that global missions, making disciples of all nations, can be right next door in a house or a village. Your neighbors are going to want to know, does it work? And your answers, your sharing of your blessing will cut through the lives that are lived without the benefit of the relationship with the Creator. Our words to our neighbors are to mirror God's covenant blessing in a gospel context. We hear words of promise proclaimed by our covenant-keeping God. Because of the gospel, we live in his presence with him moment by moment, every day and everywhere. We know that the communion that was lost in Genesis 3 in the garden has been restored through the reconciliation of the blood of Jesus Christ. The benedictions that are part of your weekly corporate worship 
are reminders of our identity in God's world. We are blessed heirs, not alone, not alienated, no longer cast out. In the words of a song sung by the great and late Aretha Franklin, your soul is no longer in the lost and found box. See, I believe that this text teaches us that a blessed church is shaped by grace, love, and fellowship. Those simple three words in this blessing are words that can be applied to what God is giving to us that we are to share. And so we as a church, because it is for all of us, not just us as individuals, are shaped by grace, love, and fellowship. The triune God renews his fellowship with us through his covenant blessing. In every relationship of love, people tell and remind the other person that they're loved. How many times do we tell our children or our spouses or our parents or other significant family members that we love them? And so every week, God wants to send you out the door with a blessing, reminding you that you are blessed, that you're not alone, that he cares for you, that he's committed to you. In this simple benediction, which mirrors that number six, remember in number six, how you had three, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Here we have the Trinity of Jesus, God, a.k.a. the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Restoring that which was lost in the garden. And I think that's one of the things that oftentimes in our memory we don't want to think about is the restoration in small words of what was lost long ago in the garden. When Adam and Eve were pushed out. And now... We are reminded each week that we are brought in, that God has brought us into his presence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. And so it is for a community that is blessed, not just individuals. I believe we are so used to the individualization of our culture and our society and our identity that we have to be reminded again and again that we are a community. That Christ brought us together. So when it says to be with you all, we need to look and see who God is bringing in. Because it's not a little private club or family that only people like me can belong to. One of the things about 2 Corinthians is that every commentator that I read said it was his harshest letter. He's getting them ready because he's going to come give them a tongue lashing. 
This is a congregation that allowed incestuous sin to be publicly displayed in their congregation and nobody said anything about it. It was rumored. He found out about it and that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians. And now, because that has been repented of and now they need to reconcile and bring that back and there are other things that need to be repented of and so he's going to come. It's not just a letter, it's a visit from Paul because he cares about them and he wants to confront them about their sin. But yet he is the pastor, the shepherd at heart. Look how he ends with grace, love, and fellowship. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought about how, I have to be careful how I say this, Sometimes pastors bring out their Greek for all kinds of reasons. But we have three words in Greek that are probably the most popular in at least English-speaking sermons, Americans anyway. Grace, kairos, love. I don't know whether you use the verb or um, agape. And then... Fellowship, koinonia. Because we want to go back to the original meeting. We want to go back to see what is in this blessing. Now, what I think is interesting about commentators, even commentators to me as venerable as John Calvin, would be critical of Paul and say, this is out of order. It should have been. But you see, what we know, and what Calvin ultimately says, yes. No, he told it to us this way to make a point. He chose the word order and the connections between Jesus and the God and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we rang, sang the, the song from the Welsh Revival... There's that phrase in there about grace and love, and of course that's part of what is is joined together before fellowship, because grace and love is what brings us into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that brings God's grace and brings God's love into us. It's all wound up together. Now, when I was growing up, maybe here they had the same expression, but the simple definition when we were young for grace was God's riches at Christ's expense. And the truth of that is something you never have to unteach. But here it is about a shared experience of God's grace. That it is more than just reconciliation, redemption, it is all of that put together when we think about the grace of Jesus. See, we live in a world that can be described as pragmatic and profane. When I use the word profane, I mean the original meaning of outside the temple, non-religious. We live in a world that is becoming non-religious, but yet there is more religious diversity in our communities than there ever has been. Listen to what Paul wrote in his letter to the 
not to the second, his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affection, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints that is not what we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the willing of, will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace, that as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in all our love for you, that you excel in this act of grace. See, their willingness to share in the poverty of others to come out of their own poverty and to give beyond what was expected, to give beyond what was their means, was out of grace because they wanted to share with other Christians that they didn't live with, they'd probably never meet. But they felt a connection because of God's grace that they could not let them live in their extreme poverty that they had to share because of what God had shared with them. So these Macedonians, see, this would be the equivalent of the Highlands giving a Offering for the poverty in Edinburgh in terms of cultural distance and historic animosity. But because of Christ, these people that were a distance from each other wanted to give and share because of God's grace. The love of God. Again, from my youth, one of the early songs that I remember and that I ended up using in my testimony because this is how I really think I came to the Lord. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I grew up around the table hearing Bible stories. And that's what I responded to. The Father's love. How many people today feel so disconnected, so disappointed. People who are depressed, people who are angry, people who are anxious, who need to be loved. Corrie Ten Boom tells a story about something that happened to her, and probably some of you or many of you may know this story. But she's speaking in a gathering. And all of a sudden, a former German guard comes up to her, wanting to shake her hand and say, 
I have found Jesus. Listen to what she said. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him, Jesus. I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it was not our forgiveness anymore than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. Listen to this. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Remember how coming from... um, Get all my R's mixed up. Coming from Genesis, it's not even an R. (laughs) The passing on of a blessing, that's why he blesses us to bless others. I'm sure that you possibly in literature and maybe even in your own experience, you could see, think of something harder to forgive. I mean, this last week from the United States, a 95-year-old former German guard is being sent to Israel for trial. Corey was just a few years out of camp, out of the camp where her sister died. And she knew she could not forgive. It had to be God through her forgiving. It had to be God through her giving her the ability to love a former enemy. See, when I think about grace and love, and I think about hard-hearted people, people in families, people in neighborhoods, people in schools, work, whatever, Hard-hearted people that you think nobody can reach. But yet they're the kind of people where God's grace and God's love can penetrate. Whether it's evil, whether it's hardness, anger, all the things that we look and we see people displaying that love and grace can penetrate because of the Holy Spirit. A couple weeks ago, some of you saw, I put up a Facebook post about MS-13 in in Central America. And in the prisons, MS-13 members are becoming Christians. And the strange thing about it is, because... Leaving the gang is a death sentence. Normally, the gang allows people to leave if they become Christians. And then on the outside, former MS-13 gang members who become Christians and form churches and take care of family members and do all the things that poor churches do, God is working because of his grace and because of his love. I say that so that we can look around in our communities and not put a label on someone as unreachable. How many times in in stories I 
who's been watching some of your BBC um, mystery dramas, how many times in that storyline have they had a disappointing death is when they left the church and they left God because they felt that God had left them. You see, that's when we need to step up. That's when we need to step in. When people are hurting the most, we need to step alongside them and not necessarily preach to them, but love them. Show them God's grace. We live with disappointment. Why do you think we confess our sins every week? It's because we have disappointed our gracious and our loving God, knowing he will forgive us. Now, the last, after grace and love, is fellowship. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, for Presbyterians, sometimes hearing something like that, hearing the Holy Spirit, kind of makes us nervous. Because after all, we're not, we're not Pentecostals. We don't get all excited. We don't fall on the floor. We don't raise our hands, at least not very often. But yet, we know that the Holy Spirit is the only reason why God's grace comes into my life and changes my heart so I can hear the message of grace. That God's Holy Spirit is the only reason I hear the love of God. That he loved me first. When I was an enemy, he loved me. The only reason I process that is because of the Holy Spirit working in my heart. See, we, we grew up in a culture where we believe in the self-made person. We, we can do anything, and the reality is no. It is the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And so when he speaks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and using koinonia translating it to fellowship. And fellowship is a word that has an illustration that the words at the beginning illustrate the idea. The earliest definition that I'm aware of about fellowship is from an Anglo-Saxon combination of words that means literally to share a ship. You get in the boat together. Now fellowship moved on from that. And it was a word that was described to shared or common grazing. When people in a community would put their sheep or their cattle or their goats or their pigs together on common ground. A place where they shared the grazing rights. Now, where else in the English language did it move? It moved to the university. You hear people who are fellows of a certain college at a university. You hear people getting fellowships to go to college or university where someone shares the money so that somebody can do something. So this idea of being willing to share in the Holy Spirit, that it is not just our work. Because you see, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is added because it is only under his guidance 
that we come to possess Christ and all his benefits. He seems, however, at the same time to allude to the diversity of gifts which we need. In the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is where the different gifts that God gives, as well as the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit as we encourage each other in that. You see, one of the things that we have that sometimes works against what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in bringing us together to that fellowship And I'm not going to get into the technicality. We could have some interesting conversations about this. But what I want to say is that social media presents a false form of fellowship. Because what eventually happens is people compare their lives and they become isolated, they become jealous, they become depressed. We have to beware of our friends and family members who may have be experiencing the negative consequences of social media in their lives. Particularly the jealousy that it can build up. And that jealousy then separates people from each other as opposed to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit should be bringing people together. So if you see people drifting apart, you need to ask that the Holy Spirit would bring them back into fellowship that they would not whether it's in a family, a community, a school, whatever, the Holy Spirit brings people together into that koinonia, that fellowship, that shared life. Now, I have said that a blessed church is shaped by grace, love, and fellowship. Now, I'm not going to turn that into a mission statement. I'm not going to turn that into a bumper sticker because it's God's word. It's part of his blessing. It's part of what he wants you to leave knowing that you have it, that be with you all. See, we are people who are with, not people who are separated, lost. See, because the blessed church shares that grace, love, and fellowship. You can share it with your friends, your contacts, the people you work with, all kinds of other relationships that we should ask for the boldest to share God's grace, love, and fellowship with others. Knowing that even the hardest person can be changed by God's love. I have been reading because there is so much to read about the revivals in, in Scotland and in Wales. A common theme is that people will completely turn their lives upside down, no matter what the fishing season is, the crofting season is, because they've got to be in church. They've got to be at the meeting. They've got to be with other Christians. One of the things that we see from at least a modern point of view, the preaching wasn't that good. It was the Holy Spirit who let them hear the words. It was not manipulative words. It was simple words. I'm not saying it was bad preaching. 
But it was ordinary preachers. Preachers who all of a sudden God just got a hold of and gave them simple messages that changed people's lives. But they had to be there. They had to be with God's people because they knew that's where God was. Now, the story of God that he gives us, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, and it ends with the benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. That will be in the next series of five. But the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, will be part of next week's beginning of the covenant series. Because when you look at those two verses and... I look at those two verses because of two deployments that I had in Egypt. Because I've been there, I've seen things. And God has used that to help me understand these verses in a, in a very fresh and real way. Now, not try to be too hip. But Harry Potter has become part of our culture, and what Harry Potter teaches us is the power of words. If they can learn the right words, they can change things. There are people who study these things, and they say, when you look at Harry Potter, and the reason young people like that is because they're learning to code, and because when they learn to code, they believe they can control things. You use word, you use control, code, and you control but the reality is we're going to be disappointed. Because the benediction proclaims a covenant blessing in a con gospel context. And so as I'm going to pronounce it, and then we're going to sing uh, the glory of Patra, the glory to the Father, those three simple words. Grace, love, and fellowship. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you that you love us, that you've loved us first. We thank you that you bless us and help us to hear those words and take those words with us. And today as we sing perhaps something new, we pray that we would give you glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.